Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl and the theme tune is again by Gemma Cartmel. We're on part eight, picking up from where we left off last week. So this is chapter four, parts two and three. Content warnings, the main ones I think are in the first part, which is Katie's memory that Ricky has asked Carrie to extract for him. And this is what he is watching uh, through Carrie, basically, um, as we left it last week. You have Katie ritually cutting herself this time to open a door, but there is reference to old self-harm scars on her arms. You also have um, her friend Rocket, who is British-Turkish and is culturally and um, practising Muslim. You have uh, him referencing Jin, but also their non-Muslim friend Rachel, who kind of makes fun of that as well and equates them to genies in a very kind of mocking kind of way and he's not impressed by that but that's coming up you know if you're not comfortable with Jin being mentioned so there's that I think that's about it just be aware of those things and then we kick off with chapter five next time so here we go with chapter four parts two and three good luck <laughs> enjoy chapter four part two wonder wick's memory katie's visit the evening fell over Pagabon Sea, long summer sun sinking at last on air conditioning unit shortages, extortionate electricity bills, hot sweaty queues for all kinds of fans, and the local superprice branch running out of bottled water. Katie sat on the garden wall of Wonderwick, her grandmother's cottage, waiting for her friends. The only people she trusted were Rachel and Rocket, since both of them had some experience with what Katie termed the different-than-mainstream natural. The garden wall absorbed her worries, her sense of self, her maelstrom layers of overlapping thoughts, memories, ideas, doubts and emotions. She left her energy impression in the stone, and Wonderwick recognised her as its owner-to-be. She'd showered and cleaned up her bramble scratches from a countryside run, covering them up with loose paisley trousers. Since Rocket was coming, she'd opted for a short-sleeved crop top she could wear with a padded bra, although she'd rather have her fingernails ripped out than admit he'd influenced her choice of outfit. Rachel had been swimming. She turned up on foot with her gym bag over one shoulder, a lean, sporty figure walking beside a much heavier set Rocket on his LED-pimped bicycle. Rocket lived on the Jubilee estate, where darkness was the enemy. His reflective jacket and neon green light-up trainers made him ridiculously conspicuous for a break-in. What the hell is that? Katie jumped off the wall, dusting off her creased linen. I told you we needed to be subtle. Rocket shot her a rakish grin, chubby cheeks ruddy from the exercise and summer heat. Ignoring her, he jumped off the bike and wheeled it to the garden gate. What are we doing here? This your grand's place? Katie folded her arms. Was, yeah. She was killed here. There was no police tape left. D.I. Parsons had closed the case for the sake of her sanity, at least that's what Wes had said. Rocket grinned wider. Cool. No, sad. Rachel rolled her eyes and gave Katie a hug. You sure you want to do this? Katie wasn't sure, but she nodded. I just want to see if, if her books are still there, and I, I want to see if I can get down to the shrine. So is this a seance? Should we have brought candles or something? Rocket pushed the gate open and winced at its unoiled scream. Katie shook her head. Don't need them, do we, if you're kitted out like a fucking Christmas tree? Rachel sniggered. Rocket leaned his bike against the garden wall where it was obscured by bushes. You think there'll be something here you can use to stop the changes? Katie shrugged. Graham wouldn't say if the shrine was that powerful. 
I don't know. No one's ever tried. He hesitated, looking at the drawn curtains and lowered blinds of the smart cottage, a deep straight crease in his brow. Worth a shot, though. You got a key? Katie shook her head. Never needed one. We're going in the back. Let's get on with it, yeah? It'll be dark soon. No one in Jubilee Estate liked returning after dark, and reflective gear was less a fashion statement and more a survival uniform. A kid had been found dead between two blocks of flats not long ago, the life sucked out of his tiny body by something no one could see. Rocket reckoned it wasn't something he was familiar with. Gin were his family's speciality, and whatever lurked in the darkness of the council estate was definitely not one of those. If there was anything at all, and it wasn't just collective hysteria or mould or a leaking gas main or something else entirely. You can both stay over, Rachel said. Dad's away again. Only one spare bed, though. Katie nearly punched her, but Rocket was checking his phone and not listening. Oi, we boring you? Katie shot Rachel a dirty look, but her best friend only grinned at her. Met's messaging me, hang on. Rocket carried on typing a reply. When he was done, he brought up a screenshot and turned the screen so they could see. Look at this, Joker. My gin can help you find health, wealth and happiness. He shook his head. Been some weird shit going on in Brighton, this guy's probably why. He doesn't know what he's doing. Great, can we focus on this now? Rachel headed around the side of Wonderwick towards the vegetable garden at the back. Hey, I'm the one with the experience. Why is she going first? Gran loved her. Katie gave Rocket a smirk. Chill your beans, genie killer. You're the cavalry, not the A-team. Well, don't touch anything, just in case, Rocket called out, but there was the sound of Rachel trying the kitchen door with a vigorous thud. He rolled his eyes. It won't open for me, Rachel called. Katie sighed and jogged after her. Coming! The back door was closed, locked for the first time in Katie's memory. She felt the magnetic draw of the shrine even so, which gave her hope. Did you bring it? she asked. Rocket dug in his jacket pocket and handed over a hunting knife. Katie took it without hesitation, her stomach doing backflips. Cheers. You need us to do an incantation, or... Nope, you're good. She put the blade to the back of her scarred, tanned forearm, where there were fewer nerve endings in the palm, something movies always got wrong, and where there'd be less inconvenience as it healed. I just need a scratch. Rocket nodded, watching her. Rachel fidgeted from one foot to the other. It's chilly. It shouldn't be chilly. We're in the middle of a heat wave. So that means something nasty, right? Katie swallowed and nicked herself with a straight, shallow cut. This is going to be mine. It'll open for me. But she wasn't sure. Wonderwick, on the other hand, was already primed for the exchanging of contracts. Katie smeared her blood on the keyhole, the stinging and stickiness making her irritable. The door felt the contract terms being sealed and completed and creaked open. Okay, we're in. The first aid box is in the cupboard, that one over there. I got it, Rocket said, beating Rachel to the cupboard. The lights were off. Gran's electricity disconnected, now she was dead. Someone had cleared out the kitchen of all the best pots and pans, and her coffee machine and microwave were both gone. The pentangle wind chime above the back door was still there, one of Gran's anchors for her home protection. Rocket unpacked the bandage roll. Arm out. He started cleaning her cut with antiseptic wipes. Don't, it's only a cut. You can't be too careful with cuts. Mehmet cut himself like this once, said exactly the same thing, and it got infected. Rocket's hands were deft and firm. You going with them to Brighton? Katie asked, hazarding a proper look at his handiwork. 
He tied off the bandage ends and grinned, a bold sparkle in his eyes. Of course. Rachel smirked. Bring us back a lamp. Ha ha ha. Rocket held Katie's hand longer than he needed to, checking the bandage. Katie's heart hammered so loudly she was certain he would hear it. His fingers lingered on her wrist and his grin was knowing. She pulled her hand away, nodding at the door to the cellar in the far corner of the kitchen. I'll go down and see if I can get some answers from the shrine, or see if Gran's old books or diaries or something might help. She keeps... she kept everything down there. Won't they have moved it? Rachel asked, staring around the bare kitchen. Katie shook her head. Nah, I don't think so. We need the books near the shrine. Gran always read from them there. Doesn't make much sense to take them, does it? Unless it's a way of limiting access, Rachel pointed out. Katie had thought of that, but was hoping this wasn't the case. Let's see. Who'd have the books if they've moved them? Rachel was checking the empty cupboards. Wow, they've cleaned out everything, haven't they? Don't. Katie couldn't start crying now. Her voice snagged on the lump in her throat. She shook it off and focused. I won't be long. She headed for the cellar door, conscious that she had never been down there without Gran before. The pull of the shrine was stronger as the door opened onto dark steps leading downwards. It drew her with a sharp pinch in her chest, like the summons of a family member, but sang more deeply into her soul. Katie ran her hand along the brick as she made her careful descent into the familiar darkness, her phone providing a dim puddle of light for her feet. Its pale blue glow illuminated the chalk images scribbled on the walls by countless grandchildren, drawings of too many limbs, too many eyes, gaping mouths and worshipping figures. Katie found hers about halfway down, above the tread of the eighth step, a badly drawn hound with a muzzle split like the petals of a snowdrop, covered in spiky triangles. She wasn't sure if she'd drawn it because that was what she wanted to be, or what she knew she was becoming. As she neared the bottom of the stairs, someone had drawn their own version of Scream by Edvard Munch, a large chalk face distended in grief and dread with hollow white eyes. Standing finally on the flagstone floor, Katie's phone light picked out the shrine against one wall. It was an antique Welsh dresser. Pendle portraits in silver frames were arranged on the uppermost shelves. Her grandmother's parents, Thomas Pendle and Anne Youngblood, Thomas Pendle's brother John and John's son Richard, a rare only child and as such gifted with a second sight, after whom Cousin Ricky was named. Gran had hated her cousin Richard. No wonder he chopped up his wife and buried her under the floor. There were framed pictures of her grandmother too, along with Gran's two sisters, Olive and Eileen, and commemorative plates from a royal wedding. These pictures cluttered the whole top shelf below the dresser's scalloped pine canopy, and on the second shelf around Katie's head height, the light picked out glass vials, jars and strange things in shallow dishes that might be bone or teeth, or something else entirely. On the third shelf, above the main board, there were only three objects. A mummified heart pinned to the wood with several hat pins and two twisted candles, one either side. Below this, scattered on the main board of the shrine, was the prism and metal rods that Gran used to open a dimensional portal, the wicker basket for offerings, a number of strange minerals that changed shape when you looked at them from different angles and seemed to glow with an eerie metallic light, and a list in Gran's handwriting. Katie picked it up, heart beating harder, and the nearest metallic object gave off a cold glow as her fingers brushed its side. It read... Liver, onions, tin pears, tin peaches, ice cream, toilet roll, cat food. Katie crumpled inside. 
Tears rushed up to choke her. Gran's handwriting made it feel like she was still there, like she'd just written it and popped out. She almost expected to hear Gran's footsteps overhead, see her come down the stairs and help. She even stood stock still, waiting, but Gran didn't come. Gran was dead. Katie dashed her tears away and threw the note somewhere into the gloom where she couldn't look at it, and delved into the overstuffed drawers of the dresser, but there was only some ravenous slime fungus in one, Katie slammed that drawer shut pretty quickly, and the robes Gran wore for special ceremonial occasions, her masks and amulets, all largely for show. Uncle Marcus had his own, of course. The smell of Lily of the Valley rose up from the robe's drawer, kicking her in the chest with more memories, more wishful thinking. I can't do this, she said out loud. I can't do this. Try, a voice not her own said in her head. It sounded like it was hers, but there was an odd echoing quality to it. The voice brought her up short. It had been months since she'd heard Grandad in her head, a voice that sounded like her own but wasn't. She looked around, swallowing her grief, but everything was still. I don't... I don't know how to. Try. Katie sighed and picked up the prism. I could just break this and then they'd be fucked, she muttered. If they want me gone, I could fuck them over too. That isn't going to work. The prism was hot in her hands. Fine, I can open it. I just need the right instructions. There was a knack to it, like a Rubik's Cube. She couldn't remember where the rods went or what you did with the weird metallic stones that looked like tools from some angles, but from others were just bits of meteorite. Okay, I brought an offering anyway. Katie brought a bracelet out of her pocket, a thin silver chain with tiny charms. She laid it in the offering basket, and the dresser rattled against the wall. Katie swallowed. Speak to me? Tell me what to do? Kill them, the voice asserted in her head. Prune the tree. Katie winced in case Rocket could hear it too. Yeah, okay, but, like, what if I don't want to? The dresser shook violently, slime bubbling over the edge of its drawer. Oh, God, there's even... Can we skip this bit? It's not scary. Maybe when I was like 12, but come on. Slime? Really? The heart started to beat. Only the hat pins kept it from jumping off the shelf. Its muscular walls pulsated in a slow, dusty rhythm, a cracked ash grey. Here we go, Katie murmured aloud, tensing. The prism began to glow, the rods and metallic rocks vibrating with an eerie, otherworldly tone, but they flickered and vibrated alarmingly out of sequence. Shit, Gran did something. What did she do? She tried to poke the stones into some sort of semicircular configuration, but they were too hot to touch. Shit. The heart was beating faster, a metronome keeping time to a speeding countdown. Katie's own heart hammered in time. Shit, how do I turn it off? She tried the prism, catching glimpses through the sides of a green mist, a room with living walls, impossible shapes twisting through multiple dimensions at once. She couldn't tell which way up the world was. The prism projected a kaleidoscope of possibilities, ever shifting in the dimensions of its facets, too many eyes blinking back at her as she stared into its twisted heart. The walls closed in and spun. Katie tried to stay upright, but she didn't know where the floor was. It seemed to be 45 degrees to where she'd expected, her feet uncertain of what was beneath them. Katie! She heard Rocket from the top of the stairs, but it wasn't Rocket. Too many limbs sprouting from his body, too many eyes. 
all Rocket's eyes replicated a thousand times, blinking at her as they opened in his skin, illuminated by a green haze. The floor met her shoulder with a thud, falling on top of her and rolling her sideways through empty space. Constellations burst in her vision, joined up with threads of cold starlight to make the same patterns Cousin Ricky once had tattooed on his arms. They were tattoos, emblazoned on an alien night sky, and when she threw out her hands to find something solid, they ripped themselves out of the night and burned themselves onto her own forearms in a flash of white ink. Katie screamed, flesh searing. She pitched forward through nothing, the ceiling bumping against her forehead, knocking her back onto what should have been the floor, but was another ceiling to another room somewhere else. Katie! Someone grabbed her and she spun through a 90-degree angle, consciousness flickering through space-time in a blur of edges. Something wrapped itself around her leg, sliming up her calf. Katie! She blinked, saw the shrine was upside down, and her limbs collapsed under her. The world turned the right way up, but her elbows grazed the tiles and her quads ached. She must have been in a bridge position, but there was no slime on her leg, no tattoos of starfire on her arms. Rocket and Rachel were standing over her, with the usual number of limbs and eyes. Make the list. The voice in her head was too much. Katie gagged on her own tongue, retched and threw up. It was only water and bile, but her throat stung and her brain felt like a ball of yarn that had been unravelled and wound up again too many times. She got onto her knees, pressing her forearms into the ground, trying to figure out if the floor was really the floor. Halala, Rocket exclaimed. That was some high-class demonic shit. Katie blinked in the harsh light from his torch app and tried to stand. Vertigo hit her in a wave and she staggered sideways before catching herself. Rocket grabbed her, warm, clammy t-shirt pressing into her side, and she figured out physical coordination. It was like that time Eden brought that doll into school, Rachel said, rubbing Katie's shoulder to ground her. You remember that? God, I can't wait to get out of this shithole of a town. With a last look at the shrine, its heart now still and immobile, the prism lying harmlessly on its side, Katie let her friends help her back up the steps. Rocket still looked shaken up, but Rachel had been around Katie's family long enough to have seen that, and worse, before, albeit accidentally during one of their childhood spy games. Sneaking around at the top of the stairs could get you into a lot of trouble when the family were enacting rites down below, especially since Rachel was only human. Did you at least learn something? Rachel closed the cellar door carefully behind them, leaving the shrine to Katie's grandsire enclosed in the darkness once more. The sun had set and Rocket was getting shifty. Katie shrugged. Grand's shopping list? That's it. Nothing else. Maybe it's a code, Rachel suggested. An acrostic? No, what's the word? Like a acronym? No, memory thing. You know what I mean. Rocket fidgeted, glancing out of the kitchen window at the purple-shadowed dusk. I really have to go. I said you can stay over, Rachel reminded him. Why don't you both come back to mine? We can chill out and order a pizza. Nah, I got to go. Rocket gave Katie the apologetic smile, not Rachel. Sorry. Mehmet's picking me up early tomorrow in the van. See you on Saturday? The Rorschach? Rachel gave Katie a little push forwards. Katie's not sure if she's coming. Katie couldn't focus on clubbing. She was still getting used to moving through three dimensions again. Rocket was paler too, still studying Katie's face. Um, I mean, yeah, if you're going, I can go. Great. Gav says he can get us some pills, but he wants the money up front. 
Rachel tugged Katie's sleeve. Let's get out of here, come on. He was still focused on her. I'm not bothered, tell him. Katie, you okay? She shook herself and blinked hard. Yeah, all right. Let's, let's go. Rachel led the way out, holding the door open. Katie rubbed her breastbone, the pinch returning as she walked away, pulling her back. Rocket guided her through the door ahead of him, and when he closed it, the pinch released. She could breathe again. The world was fresh, clean, but still strangely flat. Thanks for coming with me, guys. Katie needed to get out of the garden, where Gran wasn't pottering around the herb beds, where her hum wasn't floating on the air, some old tune she claimed the plants preferred. She clung to Rachel's arm. Rocket headed over to the front wall to retrieve his bicycle. Message us, Rachel said, and Rocket nodded and cycled off down the road at speed, LEDs spinning in bright Catherine wheels of multicoloured light. I'll stay over, Katie said, and Rachel gave her a one-armed hug as they navigated the creaky gate. I don't want to be at home on my own. Your parents out again? Rachel's expression told her exactly what she thought of that. Katie focused on the road and the wobbly business of putting one foot in front of the other. Dad's working. Mum's at Kim's with a spawn. They're all she talks about. We'll figure all this out, Rachel promised, an arm around her waist. We will. She said it with so much certainty that, just for a moment, Katie believed her. Chapter 4, Part 3, 13th of January Ricky withdrew from the memory and let go of Carrie's hand. That was interesting. Carrie frowned. Poor kid. Yeah, well, we all got our millstones to bear. Crosses. Nah, I don't think so. Ricky pulled away, turning the pictures and their import over in his mind. He'd been right about his cousin. She was alone, like him. The rare flutter of hope beetle light buffeted his innards. Carrie rubbed his back unexpectedly, her touch sending sparks down his spine. He stiffened. You really want an ally, don't you? she asked hitting on the term he'd settled on and hidden away in case it didn't work out. Hearing it from her, unprompted, jolted through him with an unpleasant bump. That's it, isn't it? You're fed up of being on your own. He covered for his unease. Got you, ain't I? That's all I need. She wrapped one arm around him, enclosing him in a cupboard-tight grip, giving him a space to shelter. Mate, I appreciate that, but you need more than just me. It's not a betrayal. I have living friends. My family still don't realise I'm dead, largely thanks to you. And I know you don't like it, but you need to get over this friends are for other people thing. She gave his ribs a squeeze and let him go. He had nothing to say to her, but the thought of her going out with other people filled him with the same kind of burning he'd felt when the dead birds told him he'd have to share her with another lodger. I'm not jealous. Jealousy's beneath me. He inhaled the long-suffering breath of a martyr. When we get in, I'll take the heart away, he said, suddenly remembering. Ought to get points for that, right? She shook her head, but her face was pinched with resignation rather than rage. Damn right you will. She was harder to work out than he'd anticipated, even eight months on, but he was getting the hang of it now. He filed this incident away as something else she didn't like and jogged up the cellar steps ahead of her, wanting to be out of Gran's cottage as quickly as possible. She's nice. That wasn't his thought. It brought him up short halfway across the kitchen. He glanced behind him at the cellar steps. Do you hear that? 
Carrie, following him, shook her head. You what? Oh, it's... He winced, tapping his temple. Never mind. You broke into her space. Can you enter another? He flinched. The voice hadn't spoken to him for months, not since he'd disavowed it, not since it had promised him he'd get what he wanted, but left him with a house in flames and someone who didn't breathe. Although, he had to admit, it had worked out since then. What is it Gran said? Ellinge, that's the right word. Lonely, eerie. That's us, ain't it, my love? So I now then, why the creeping call tugging at the back of his mind, that insidious old sod working his way back into his brain? Let's go. He took her arm, savouring the smooth warmth of it, not quite alive, but close enough. She pulled a little, resistant. He let go. You still pissed off? What's freaked you out? His cheek twitched. She always did that when you asked her something she didn't like, threw a question back at you that you didn't want to answer either. I said I'd make amends, I meant it. Ricky, she raised her eyebrows, lips bowing. What's wrong? I want to get out of here, that's all. What do you think I am, a key for a lock? The voice was there, clear as a bell, deep in his brain as if it had never been away. You're the one and only, unique in your generation. Fuck this. He marched to the door and strode out into the crisp air, taking it in with deep breaths. I know who I bloody well am. She touched his shoulder and he flinched, not realising she was so close behind. You're hearing it again, aren't you? That voice in your head. It's... I'm not interested. You can't trust him. He squirmed as she took his arm this time, her touch making his skin crawl. Thinking about his grandsire had that effect, made him think about the day she died. He swallowed, eyes pricking, blurring. You go on home. She nodded, knowing when to give up, and crumbled away into plaster flakes and brick dust, leaving him fighting back tears alone. Well, thank you for listening. And next week, we're going to start chapter five. So I hope you're ready for that. Um, I might have to start doing like the story so far, um, just to keep track of which section we're on. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, it's another Wes chapter next week. And we get a bit of an insight into his inner life. Uh, so that's going to be 
traumatic but that's coming up and I hope you enjoy that. In the meantime again you can just grab a copy of the book from uh, Amazon, Kobo, Barnes & Noble, Smashwords, wherever ebooks are sold including my Kofi shop um, and the paperback from Amazon. The paperback and the ebook both have five illustrations by Tom Brown. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. See you next week. Bye now.